This morning, as we go into week four of our basics series, we're talking about the mission of God. And so um, it, made, it seems to make sense that uh, I would interview uh, Jeff Clossy, not Jeff Clossy, who is one of our pastors. So that is, um, that is true about him. That's true about you, right? You, I was going to have... It's true. Good. All right. We are off to a rolling start here. You agree with me. Um, but what I want to actually do is a little exercise here. We're going to go back in time. So we're not going to interview Jeff Clossy circa 2021. We're going to interview Jeff Clossy circa 1912. No, wait, what is it? Mid-2000s. Mid-2000s. Not like 2050, but like mid-aughts, the mid-aughts. The first decade yeah, okay. of the 2000s. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back in time because part of today is about this idea of um, what, like the mission of God, what is it and what does that mean in our life? And so Jeff, I would just, could you give them, um, you know, you can introduce yourself, but talk about where were you at that stage in your life? Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be up here. So um, Jess and I, my wife Jess back there and our kids, uh, we were living in Milwaukee. And this is like early 2000s. And I was a systems analyst at a large financial services company doing IT work, writing code, analyzing systems, designing them, and so on. Basically like what I do right now. No, not at all like what I do right now. And we moved to Milwaukee for that job, and then Jess was going to grad school for teaching. And God, in his sovereignty and his love and goodness to us, connected us with a few other young 20-somethings who thought they could plant a church in Milwaukee, where there really wasn't one. And by his grace and by his love, we got involved in that, and we're uh, in the very early stages of what is now known as Epicos, if you know any Milwaukee churches, they've now planted a number of them as well. And God did a massive work in our hearts through that experience and through what we had experienced with the navigators in college growing as disciples of Jesus. Okay, so, you, so you're living in Milwaukee. You have a, like, a normal person's job. Right? Yeah. Making decent money. What ends up being probably the most you ever ever had made or will make ever again, likely. Um, and even, even accounting for inflation, I think. So you're, you're in that world, and then you partner up and you're serving in, um, in this church. So you're, by all accounts, you're doing like what every Christian is called to do. Like you're working a job, you're providing for your new family, and you are volunteering and serving, not only just serving in a church, but you're helping start a church. God had more for you. Yeah, he did. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here with this microphone in my hand if I was still in that career, in that job that I actually really loved. And God moved me to Milwaukee along with these 20-somethings who were planting this church over here. And then there were 25 other 20-somethings that started working in IT with me when I did. And through the things that I had learned in, in college especially, through being discipled and growing as a disciple and apprentice of Jesus, other young 20-somethings were able to get to know Jesus. And what started happening was that the opportunities and the door being wide open for ministry was far greater than I ever had time for with my IT job. And 
I started wondering, Jess and I started wondering, maybe I should step out of that. Maybe there's something else that God made me for in addition to this that he would have me do. Um, But as you know, if you can imagine, that's just not an easy decision. That's not a light thing. So I would wake up daily for about a year wondering, I wonder what else, God, that you might be calling me into. And over and over again, the, the main obstacle for me was not, do I know that this might be a, a useful thing for me to do? It was um, money. <laughs> like, if I leave this job and do something outside the box of what I would have dreamed of or anyone around me would have dreamed of for me, what, what will happen to us? How will God take care of us? And eventually it became an obedience issue where I knew I need to, I need to, for me, leave that job and go on a different sort of adventure following Jesus, helping other people get ready to be in that job. Because I became very convicted early on that the things that I had learned to do as a disciple of Jesus and grown in, I wanted other young, young Christians to know it. There were some people that I worked with, the only thing they knew to do was to put their Bible on their desk. And now that wasn't a bad thing, but I'm not sure it was a good thing either. They just knew to do that. And what I had experienced in Jesus was something totally different than just putting a Bible on a desk. It was engaging in life and being a friend and a neighbor and living in the kingdom of God right now so that other people can know him. So through all of that, I'm summarizing a lot of things. Jess and I left our our careers that we had in Milwaukee and um, moved to Champaign, Illinois to work with the navigators on campuses there. And then we went to Eau Claire, and then we went to Ottawa, and then to here. And if people aren't aware, um, navigators and other missions organizations, like they don't, they don't just like hire you for, uh, they don't hire you for a job and then pay you a salary. You have to then raise, raise support. Yeah. So we approached family and friends in this church and other churches and said, we think this is what God is calling us to do. Do you, do you agree with that? And enough that you would want to actually um, part from your money and invest in it. And he did. And for 13 years, our family of five was taken care of by God every day. So I think one of the things that's really critical about this is that I know it's easy to dismiss um, sometimes the things that, that we say because you're like, well, you're, you're a pastor, you're supposed to devote all your time to this, you're supposed to, um, you know, this is why you're a pastor, because you care a, a lot about this, and that's not normal. But what they, what often people don't realize is that um, we were, that you at least were once a normal person too, right? Yeah, I was normal once. Yeah. Um, and then we become less normal as we go. But, but our journeys, whether you talk to Robbie or, or my, to me about mine or Jeff, it's, it's marked, all of us have these same stories, these moments of just terror and saying, okay, God, but I can serve you in this other way. I can do it in this way. And, and we're not saying that like, everyone is called to do exactly what Jeff did. That's not the point. But the point is that there's this moment where you feel like, okay, God is asking me to follow him here. He's asking me to give this up. And it's terrifying regardless 
of your situation and your circumstances. So you did this. What, like, has it, has it been worth it? It has been worth it. I didn't give up anything. I didn't. I didn't. Well, I you didn't. gave up money, so. But I didn't. I don't pay you as much as they, they we don't. Yeah. And I had free lunch, too. <laughs> you don't do that for me. Uh, that would be harder but, for me to give up. Like, that's but, a benefit. I was promised it, actually, and it never materialized. Oh, okay. But um, I don't really feel like I gave up anything because the adventure of following Jesus, and I think for me, again, it was an obedience issue. And I like that you said this isn't everyone's call. It's not everyone's call. Not everyone is supposed to do that. In fact, some people might do it out of disobedience. Not everyone is supposed to do that. But it was the call that God had on our life. And actually, recently... A year and a half ago, a colleague of mine from then emailed me, and he, he left as well, and he's in Sarajevo now as a missionary. He was at the same place that I was and um, had a lot more time there than I did, but he also felt called to leave and uproot from a thing that he was an expert in to help people know Jesus, to help people learn how to follow him as an apprentice and live in the kingdom of God right now. So I, I don't think that, that I really gave up anything. I think I gained tremendous. The, the intimacy that I have with Jesus now through walking through, I mean, the uncertainty of income and all the things that you mentioned, I could not have had. I don't believe I would have ever had it in the same way as if I had stayed there. Again, th this is me. This isn't everyone in the room. But for me, I had to go. And the life I was experiencing with him was one I needed to share. Like, I, I was running out of time to do it um, on a normal day, and it just became obvious. You need to do it. So I think that's, that's what's key, is that even though the, what the actual thing is may look different for every person, what, what is the same for all of us who claim to follow Christ is that Jesus looks over our entire lives and at every, in every corner of our lives, he says, that's mine. And to give everything and to say, to reorient our lives completely around, okay, God, how, how do I follow you? How do I obey you? How do I participate in this mission that you are doing in, in the world? Like, nothing's off limits. Like, my, my job, my, my identity, my whatever the case is, like, nothing is off limits. And, um, and it's worth it. It feels like the most normal and right thing to do when God is calling you into it, whatever that is in your life, whether it's just the step of saying hello to a neighbor that you wish you had known years ago, and now, like, today's the day. <laughs> there, there is a sense in which those things are calling us outside of our comfort zone, but they're just good, natural, normal things for people who are full of God's Spirit and who walk with him. And so it might be just like that, like hello to the neighbor, or it might be asking the neighbor for help with something. But whatever the next step is, I think it will feel like that. A bit like scary, but also, of course I would do this. Praise God. Thank you, Jeff. I, I appreciate your, your time and just grateful that you are here and that... Um, that God did put you on that path because you're right, you wouldn't be sitting here, you wouldn't, we wouldn't have the joy of partnering with you in, in, uh, in the ministry here. So appreciate that. Thanks.
We're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you again for this time. Thank you that we get to gather here. And thank you, God, that we have the word that you have given us. Help us to read it well and to love it and to obey what we find, trusting you that you are worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so far in this series, and remember again, this series is meant to, um, it's, it's meant really as a way of, of helping us kind of get back to foundational principles so that we can understand how do I make disciples who make disciples? We are God's family on mission. How do we function as that? And much like in building a house, you have to make sure that you're checking the foundation and making sure that we're all kind of on the same page as what does it mean to belong to Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What do we, what do we mean? What's our, what is our main objective as, um, as a church family? And so um, this is this is uh, the fourth week of that. And so far, we've talked about like the core of what does it mean to belong to God? When we talk about being God's family on mission, what does it mean when we say that we are God's? And so we talked about belonging um, to Jesus. And we talked about being, um, being with Jesus, like how we're supposed to watch him and listen to him and hang on his words and, and, and fill our minds and our hearts with, um, predominantly with him. Like that's what we should be considering is him and, and how many other voices there are in our lives um, and how we need to just be consumed by the life, death, resurrection, the words, the teachings of Jesus. And then last week, uh, Robbie talked about becoming like Jesus. That yes, we belong to God through Jesus. We, um, we want to be with him and we abide in him and we spend time with him. And then we our lives become formed into his. And so he said it's not just um, being like him, it's not just imitating, but it's, it's far more than that. We're actually being transformed in, into the life of Christ. And now we get to, okay, well then what do we do with that? If we're being transformed in that, like what's the point? Why are we doing any of this? And we realize that the call to follow Jesus is the call to participate in the mission of God. That's why he has rescued you. If we've talked about listening to his voice and he's saying, him saying, follow me, and we watch what he does and, and we are transformed in his image, then, then in Christ we are given this new identity. And also in Christ we are given a new mission, a new purpose. Shortly after he recruits some of his disciples, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Right away, he's telling them, I'm recruiting you to follow me, and I have a job for you. I am preparing you for something. It's often said that we are not just saved from something, but we are saved for something. And that is the mission of God. And the way that we often say it, a phrase that you'll hear us say a lot that I think is really helpful, that we did not make up. It came from a, another, another friend who is better at articulating these things. But what we will often say is what God has done in you, he wants to do through you. So how God has changed you and transformed you and molded you into the image of Christ, he doesn't want you to just rest in that and say, okay, God, thanks for saving me. I'm good. Take me anytime you want. And while you're waiting to take me, I'm just going to go ahead and live my life over here and do my thing. But hey, let me know when you're ready for me. I'm happy to go. 
He's saying, no, what I've done in you, I want to do through you. And this is critical. In my years of pastoring, I've noticed this is almost always the missing link for people when they say, you know what, I I used to feel really passionate for Jesus, but I I feel like I've lost my way a little bit. I feel dry. I've kind of settled and become complacent, and I just don't have that same fire burning in me. I I don't feel driven to prayer. I don't feel driven to scripture. I don't feel driven to to serving. I I just, I'm struggling with that. And it, it, it makes sense because we know in the rest of the world that if you put all of your energy into training for a mission but never go on the mission, then that training kind of dries up. The motivation for it drives, dries up. I mean, what happens to a, a soldier who trains but is never given a mission? I have a cousin who is, uh, who is a Navy SEAL, and when I asked him why he finally left, he, he said, I, you know, I, I don't know all this. I, I was not a SEAL shockingly. Um, but, I, but he would talk about how you get trained, and they, there are like dummy groups too. Like, so there's the live, the active team, and then there's the other teams that are training, but they're not going to be the live team that goes on it. And he said, after a couple of times of training and getting ready to go and being told how critical this is, and then finding out you're the decoy, he said that after a while, it's just like, why am I doing this? And so, so it is with us. If we just train and train and we sit in our groups and we, we study and we read about it and we talk about what it would be like if we were actually on the mission, what would it be like if I actually did share the gospel? What would it be like if I actually went somewhere else and went on the frontier somewhere? What would it be like if I, if I actually did was disciple somebody? And then we get, we're really good at getting into discussions about it and we spend so much talking, time talking about it that we never actually do it. And we wonder why we're not motivated to be equipped and trained. We live in a culture where we are flooded with curriculums and books and studies and devotions and conferences and speakers and YouTube videos and podcasts. And yet, in our country, the majority of Christians will go through their life and never lead someone to Christ. Mission is critical. It's why you and I are still here. To why all this exists like it does right now. And we'll talk later about how mission and understanding that will spark your prayer life. It will spark and, and give you understanding and wisdom and discernment in reading his word and spark a love for the scriptures. It will change your view of the church. And we're going we're gonna to get to all that later in this series. But right now, we, we need to talk about what is this mission? Why is it so critical? You know, it's critical. It's part of the reason why I think we're seeing all this division within the church right now. Because mission is not only critical for you and I personally in our faith journeys, but also for unity in the church. We're in this place right now where, where people that we've agreed with for a long time about certain doctrines and beliefs and truths, we feel like this division, this separation, we've started to ask and look at each other and go, wait a second, what happened? I thought we, I thought we agreed on all of these things. And I believe the key to all that is mission. Understanding the why any of this exists. Let me give you an example. Um, I, I, you know I love giving examples of things I have lots of firsthand experience with, like being a Navy SEAL. Um, or being a hunter or fisherman or whatever. It's always great. So let me talk about being a firefighter, all right? So 
I know that one of the reasons, one of the things that's important about a firefighter's job, I know one of the things that they do regularly is they wash the fire truck, right? And they check out all the things, they test all the stuff, they go around and they, and, and, and those things are important. And if you ask the firefighter, like, is it, a, is it really important to have a clean truck? And they would say, yeah, it is. It's really important that you take care of this truck and you take care of the systems, you clean it and that you make sure it's, it's taken care of. Now imagine, like we both agree, we agree that's really important. And then imagine you're washing the fire truck and the alarm goes off. What do you do? What if you had, you have some people who are like doing what you're probably thinking right now. Well, obviously you jump in the truck and you go. Like everyone throws on their stuff and you go. But what if there was somebody over here still scrubbing? You say, hey, Jimmy, what are you doing? Like, we gotta go. What? No, 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 no. We have to make sure this truck is clean. Well, yeah, we do, but we just have a call. We gotta go. And he's like, no, no, no. We have to make sure this truck is clean because tomorrow we're gonna be in the historical days parade. It's gotta look great. Where's the disconnect? They both agree on what is, like, this thing is important. If you ask in a vacuum, is this thing important? Yes, this thing is important. We need to. But one of them is thinking it's important because the big thing is that we present ourselves well to the community and everyone gets to see a shiny red fire truck because who doesn't love seeing a shiny red fire truck? And other people are saying, no. The reason why we take care of the equipment is so that we can go on calls and save people's lives. That's why we're doing it. And I look so much in the, in the church right now. If you ever get to a place where you're like, hey, I, I thought we agreed on this thing. We have to be able to expand out and say, yeah, but why is this important? Why is this critical? To not be on the same page as to why we're doing this and, and what it all exists for and what's the purpose and what is God actually doing leads to a lot of frustration and confusion and anxiety. Like it's that confusion that leads the Pharisees in, in Matthew 12 to tell the Lord of the Sabbath that he doesn't understand the Sabbath. Like, you just think about how ridiculous that is. I'm telling you, the Lord of the Sabbath, nope, you don't understand the Sabbath. Because Jesus says, like, look, the point of the Sabbath is to serve man, and I'm going to heal this guy. That's, that's a good thing. It's, what, it's that same confusion about what's going on and what is God actually doing in the world that would lead Peter, who could in one moment declare to Jesus, you are the Christ. And then immediately go to telling him that he's going about this whole kingdom thing all wrong. It's a confusion of what is he actually accomplishing? Why are we actually doing any of this? And I would say that in 2,000 years, I don't know that much has changed. We still struggle with remembering the why behind the what. We still struggle with believing like Jesus, or like Jesus, like Robbie, who's not Jesus, pointed out last week about Jesus that we still look at him and we say, yeah, but I think I, I, think I know how to follow you better than you do, Jesus. Like, we still do that, and the answer is to remember the mission of God. So what is this mission of God? Look, part of the challenge, one of the challenges of, of doing this message this week is in, in, a couple, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be heading out to Colorado where I get to teach a, a, a seminary course, like a, a master's students, I get to teach them about what is the mission of God. 
It's a whole course on the mission of God. And for it, it's a semester-long course that I give all these assignments for, and then I have to plan 15 hours of lecture and discussion around this idea. So getting this down to like 30, 35 minutes is, has been incredibly challenging. And so what I'm going to say in this is that I'm going to need a lot of grace for that. There's going to be things I'm going to say in this that you're going to say, well, I feel like that's oversimplifying. You are right. It is. Or you might say like, yeah, but you left out this part over here. You are correct. I did. Because I, I, I have to. It takes us our entire lives and we still won't understand everything that there is. But we need to be able to think about these things and teach others how to think about those things. Otherwise, we end up on completely different pages and totally confused as to why. And so really, in, in some ways, I would say that the mission of God is simply this. It is the story of how God is restoring all things and making all things right in his, all of his creation to share his joy for all eternity. And he does that by rescuing his children, making them into a family, setting them on a hill so that they would be the light of the world and that people would see them and glorify him, their father in heaven, and that we would invite others into that. Now I realize that that right there is not super succinct. But I want to I just kind of break that down and help us just to think of this. It's this idea. God is making all things right. Creation, he created creation to enjoy it and for the creation to enjoy him, to share his joy. And it was broken by sin. And so the mission of God is he is reconciling all that. He's making it all right. He's redeeming it. He's renewing it. He's restoring it. And he's making this promise that is found throughout Scripture. He says, you will be my people and I will be your God. It's everywhere. Right? Genesis 12. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Later he says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm going to make a nation out of you. Oh, you, my people, I'm going to make a nation out of you, a people out of you, and then through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And not only bless them, he says he's going to reach them. He says in Isaiah 49, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. He's saying, like, it's just too small of a thing. You want to you just do this? Like, I got something bigger. I'm going to have you reach the entire nations, all the nations, to the ends of the earth. This promise, you will be my people and I will be your God. I will bless the nations through you. I will reach, I will reach the nations through you. What he has done in you, he wants to do through you. How he has blessed you, he wants to, through you, bless others. 
what he has done in us as a family, he wants to do through us. That's the mission. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us how the kingdom of God works. And in it, he says this, what I referenced earlier, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's saying here that God God is setting his people, who's now the church. He's setting you on a hill. You are a city on a hill. That light cannot be hidden. You are meant to display his glory. Therefore, let your light shine in all the earth. Like, let it, let it go. Let it shine in all the earth so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Another way of saying this is that he has set, formed us as this kingdom. He's bringing his kingdom. Jesus says to the disciples and to the crowds, like, the kingdom of God is at hand because he is there. And so what he's basically saying is, another way of saying this is, he's, our charge, the mission is to live as kingdom people in the world, and then tell others about our king. And if we do that, if we just do that, we realize like this is how God is reaching the nations. He's saying, I'm going to set you apart, bless you, live as kingdom people, and then point to our Father in heaven. And if we do that, we will look different. We will look different than the world. Like we're playing a different game by different rules because the kingdom functions differently. And Jesus tells us how in the Sermon on the Mount. You ask, like, how do we, how do we participate in it? That's how. We live as kingdom people in the world and tell others about our king, inviting them to share in our joy. That's making disciples who make disciples. And we get in trouble and we fall away when we forget that we are kingdom people and we forget how radically different it is to live as kingdom people. And so we spend a lot of our time explaining how what Jesus directly says doesn't apply. Because we forget how crazy it's going to sound. It's just the reality. Like if you want to be a part of the kingdom, if you want to be a child of the kingdom, a child of God, and follow Jesus, then you won't go about things the same way the world does. You won't measure things the way the world does. You won't think about things the way the world does. You won't use the same schemes and, and processes and systems of power that the world does. You just won't. And nowhere is this more, I think, just startling and shocking than in the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus tells us how the kingdom works. So just look at this. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you look through that list, these are not things that are highly valued right now. It is an incredible opportunity. It's, it's counter-cultural. And Jesus does this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He tells them, this is what people who are children of God, who are people of the kingdom, this is how they function. We talk a lot about how loving our enemies is, is a countercultural thing. Robbie talked about it last week. But I think, for me personally, the passage right before that is quite possibly the most difficult passage for the American church to swallow. He says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Anybody else uncomfortable with that? I can tell you, I am. And I am ashamed at how many times in my life I have spent more time trying to think of exceptions to these things than to defaulting to just doing it. There's a vlogger that I saw recently who has over a million subscribers. I can't even fathom that. And he, he was saying this, he was talking about, you know, pulling out some Old Testament story and talking about that. And, and by the way, pulling it pretty much out of context, but, you know, using it as like, so this is, this is my purpose, this is my mission. And he said this, he said, every time I start talking about this, I get Christians saying we are to turn the other, tree, turn the other cheek. That's not true, he said. Anyone who says that is ignorant of their Bible, don't pay any attention to them. Listen, when we get to a place where people can say that and the comments are chock full of amen, amen, amen. Finally, somebody teaching that. That's what my church teaches. All in agreement. We've got a mission problem. When, we, when Jesus says, this is how I want you to function, when he says to his disciples, I'm going to form you. God is forming you as a family. We're going to put you up on a hill so your light will shine to all the world so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. And this is how you're going to function. And we can look at that and say, well, that's dumb. That's ignorant. We have a problem. If we spend more time trying to figure out how what Jesus said doesn't apply to us than trying to figure out just to follow what he says, there's a problem. And part of that disconnect is when we forget that the reason why the kingdom doesn't make sense to us is because we still live in the shadow of brokenness and of our own sin. We somehow think 
that unlike the disciples and unlike the early church fathers and the early church, that somehow we are just are so naturally sanctified that everything in the kingdom should make sense to us. That's an unrealistic expectation. It's an unrealistic expectation to assume that everything that Jesus says will just make sense to me because I love Jesus, I believe in God, and so therefore everything he says will make sense to me. And if it doesn't make sense to me, then I got to change what he's saying or shift it so that it does make sense to me. And I think we can agree that that is a dangerous proposition. We just function differently. And so when things don't make sense to us, we kind of panic and be like, ah, but what about this? What about this? Instead of defaulting to like, what if Jesus actually means what he says? And what if the problem is me? And he goes on, he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And yet look at our culture and how, how we will go to any lengths necessary to make sure we don't face persecution. Like, look, I'm the first in line to say, hey, I would prefer not to be persecuted. I would prefer not to get arrested. But I have brothers and sisters all over the world who are. But the question is, when that happens, do I think that that's odd or do I instead just thank God that that hasn't been the case for me for my entire life? He says your reward is great. Why? Because you're participating in the mission. It's kind of how you know you're participating in the mission. It's kind of like when your muscles are sore, when you're working out, and you're like, hey, that means it's working. If you get done with a workout and your muscles aren't sore, you didn't work out. Speaking of things I don't know anything about. But once we accept that, once we understand like, okay, this is going to be super uncomfortable. Like, Jesus, I don't know, but I, I, okay, I just know that you're going to call me to do things that are not going to make sense. They're not going to make sense in, in the world. They're not going to make sense. And, but, but you've said to do it, so I'm going to do it. I believe you. Once I accept that the, the, the worldly success of that outcome, the worldly outcome of that, just because that didn't work out doesn't mean that that wasn't the right thing to do. Once I start to accept these things, then it changes. Like if you look at the disciples, think about this. As long as they thought that the end goal for Jesus was to overthrow the government, as long as they thought that, they were saying ridiculous things like Peter did. There's all kinds of confusion and dissension and weird behavior and power grabbing. Like disciples going to them, disciples having their moms go to Jesus and be like, hey, can my, my boys are so great. Can they sit at your right hand? That's embarrassing. But that's what you do in the world. You jockey for position. You take the higher seat. You want to make sure that everybody sees you and make sure that they know that you're right and that you're doing the right thing. And you want to look humble, but you, gotta also, you also got to let people know that you know what you're doing. And yeah, you want to be kind, but not at the expense of being walked over. Like, we're not going to be a doormat. But once they understood what he was actually doing, which admittedly took a long time, 
took most of them till after he ascended into heaven. But once that clicked, once they realized, oh, that's why you came. That's the mission. That's the kingdom. Once they realized that, they caught fire and changed the world. They went willingly before the Sanhedrin and before the Roman authorities. They were brave and courageous in the face of being stoned to death. They trusted in the Lord and sang songs of worship and praise to him while they were locked in stockades. They loved their enemies to the point where they led the very people who tortured them, they led them to Christ. Nobody tortured the Christians in that era more than the Romans. And there were tons of converts. Why? Because the Christians figured out a way to overthrow the Roman government and put their own ways in place? Because they joyfully and willingly went to the stockades, went to the prisons, went to the stake, and worshiped God the whole way. I don't want you to mishear me. It's an incredibly hard thing to hear. You think it's hard for you to sit there and hear. Imagine how hard it is for me to say it, knowing that I <laughs> could be asked of me at any moment A lot of the sayings of Jesus are hard, but they're not typically all that complicated. We get in trouble when we mistake things being hard for being complicated. If it's hard, we think, ah, well, then maybe there's something I don't understand about this, instead of just saying, yeah, that's what he's doing. Do you see why this matters so much? Like, if the city on the hill that Jesus is talking about, if that was our country, if that was the United States of America, then we would function differently. But the city on the hill that he's referring to is the church, God's people. If the mission of the church, if the mission of God is to make the world look like the kingdom, then we would need different methods. Like if what he's saying is you're a city on a hill, go and make all of the world look like the kingdom, then we would need different methods. But that's not. The point is that we would not look like the world. Not that we would make the world look like us. The goal is always to go and declare, to to live this life that God has equipped us to live and called us to live. We live it in the face of anything and we're pointing to Jesus the whole way and we're inviting other people into that. And when they come into the city on a hill, when they come into this family, we teach them how to follow Jesus. We teach them to obey everything that he commanded, which a lot of that is in the Sermon on the Mount. point is that God is saying and has always been saying, look, in the midst, I'm placing you here, in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations, in the midst of the offering of power, in the the midst of, of deliverance by other means and invitations to be delivered and to make your life easier and better, in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of the fear mongering, in the midst of all these things that are going on around you, the message of Jesus is right here. Keep your eyes on me. Be fixed on me. This is the plan. And when we say, but, but there's all this stuff going on around, he's like, yeah, that's the plan. 
The plan is we would place you here in the midst of all of that so that you would focus on me and follow me and abide in me. He warns the disciples, you're going to have troubles. Keep your eyes fixed on me. The world's going to offer you all kinds of promises. Keep your eyes fixed on me. You belong to me. Listen to my voice. Become like me. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This way of living, of being kingdom people, of taking part in God's actual mission that he's doing, that he's been doing since the beginning of time, it is salt. It, pers- it preserves. It gives flavor. If you and I aren't like that, then we're not good for anything. I encourage you, don't overcomplicate this. What's in front of you? Function like a citizen of the kingdom wherever God has placed you. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. Sometimes people will admire you for it. Sometimes they will hate you for it. Sometimes they will think it's interesting. Sometimes they will think it's foolish. But regardless, function as a citizen of the kingdom if you belong to the king. It's assignment number one. It's why Jesus says, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's why he says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with your whole heart and your mind. That means that I am fixated on God. I'm fixated on Jesus Christ. I live as his children. I live as kingdom people. And when we do that, so many of the other things that cause us confusion and cause questions actually kind of take care of themselves. Like, let me give you an example. The other day I was uh, down in Green Bay having lunch with a friend. We had lunch, had a great conversation, great time. As we were leaving, a guy approached us asking for help, asking for money. And what goes on in my mind immediately, like, okay, so can I, is this a safe place for me? Okay, (laughs) it's not overwhelming, but we'll just give it a try. Um, So as I see him out of the corner of my eye, my first thought is, oh, this is going to be awkward. How do I get out of this? Then he comes up and he asks for money. And my next thought is like, okay, I don't think I have anything because um, like, I don't really carry cash anymore. And, but I'm a little afraid that if I open this up, I might be surprised at what I find and then that's going to get more awkward. And then I'm thinking like, okay, but what is he going to, like, what's his situation? Is he, is he drunk right now? Is he under the influence? Is this, a, is this a scam? Like, what's going on? And then I start thinking about like, well, could I, is there some other way I could help him? You know what didn't pop into my mind immediately? Give to anyone who asks of you. And the guy I was with, before I could formulate anything to say, he said, yeah, what do you need, man? The guy said, I'm hungry. And he said, well, let's get you a burrito. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah, that. That's, can I have a do-over? Can we try this again? Three, two, one. Listen, it's not easy. 
All these things pop into our heads all the time and we start thinking, we, we see someone grieving and we hurt and we see them hurting. We say like, well, yeah, but do they have a reason to be hurt? And what does it mean if I, if I say that I grieve with them? Like, what else does that imply? And Jesus says, weep with the one who weeps. What in the world? That's not that complicated. I think when we just can relax a little bit, and just look at what Jesus says. It's going to be hard. These are hard sayings, but they aren't always very complicated. And I would just say that let's let what Jesus says about the kingdom be our default. Now look, am I saying that like, so, okay, so always, ever, like was Jesus like prescribing? Like, so now the kids who are still in here are thinking, awesome, I'm going to ask my parents for money. They can't say No. I'm not saying that, but here's what I'm saying. Ask yourself, is that my default? Is my default I'm going to give? Is my default I'm going to have compassion? Is my default like I'm going to weep with you? I don't even know why you're weeping right now, but I'm going to weep with you. We'll sort the rest of the stuff out later. We'll figure out how to help you later, but I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to be poor in spirit. I'm going to be meek. What about if you were sued? What if your default was, could I give more than what they're asking for? I had somebody who did that one time. They were sued. It was totally unjust. And they said, I think I'm going to, they're suing me for this. I think I'm going to give everything. First thought, that's foolish. You don't have to do that. But see, she functioned as if she believed Jesus when he said these things, and so she defaulted to that. It's hard, but it's not complicated. And it's important, because what he has done in you, he wants to do through you. And as you function in this way, people look at you and say, why would you do that? Because I serve a king. And so we tell others about this king. As we function differently, we get to tell him. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You see, this language is everywhere. Through you. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so we need to let people know that it's because of Jesus. We need to be willing to look foolish and say, Yeah, not only am I doing this thing, and I believe in this thing that you think is crazy, because you and I are functioning under different economies and, and different power systems and different everything. And so, yeah, it's not going to make any sense. But when you wonder, like, why am I doing this? It's because of Jesus. Then we need to let them know it's because of Jesus and then invite them into it. Because Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The picture is we're sitting on a hill with this blinding light that is flooding the darkness around us. And we are not placed up there to tell people like, yep, you're in darkness. Aren't you foolish? 
No, we're put up there to let that light shine so that as people look at it and they wonder about it and they revile and they they ask all kinds of questions about it, that we can say, this is because we function this way. This is why we care for the poor. This is why we take care of orphans. This is why we take care of the widows. This is why we do these things. This is why all these people from all these different backgrounds can come together and be a family. This is how. It's because of our king. Do you want to know him? You can know him too. That, that's critical. For, for a long time, my, my evangelism would just end. My mission on, okay, God, you're sending me out. I'm going to be this. I'm going to live. I'm going to give up these other things. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to live as a child of the kingdom. And then I'm going to tell people that it's about you. And then I would stop from inviting them because that felt pushy. Until I realized what I was effectively saying to people was, hey, the, what you see, this light that you see in me, it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. And I was effectively telling them, and, and so that's great for me, but it's not for you. Kind of like telling somebody how great your family reunion was. It's just so great, we went in this place, whatever. Like, it was, it was amazing, and my family's so wonderful. Like, when I hear that, I'm like, that's great. But nothing in me says, hey, can I go with you the next time you go to your family reunion? Because that would be weird. And we forget that that sounds weird to the world. But to tell them, like, hey, Jesus didn't do this in me because I was born a Christian. He didn't do this in me because of who my parents were or because I've done everything right or that my parents were really good people. He did this of his own accord. It's a miracle. He can do it for you. Do you want that? So we tell people about him and then we invite people in. People need that invitation. And by the way, in case you're wondering, most of the time I invite people in to share in that joy, their answer is no. It's kind of like high school dances were for me, but whatever. The answer is no, most of the time. Okay. Now I just say like, that's okay. I just want you to know that you're welcome. I just want you to know that if you want this, it's here for you. You can trust him, that he knows you, he sees you, he loves you, and he has something better for you. And then I ask again. And I ask again. And again. And I keep my eyes open. Why? Because Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we go and we live as these people, wherever you are, in your workplace, in your home, in your school, in your neighborhood. Our identity is that we are citizens of a kingdom. Our economy is what Jesus says it is. So that when we are in authority, we actually serve everyone. That when we have the opportunity to seek the highest seat, we take the lowest seat. That we give freely of our time and our money and our energy. And then as people do come in, we teach them how to do the same thing. We invite them along with us. And we do this to the ends of the earth. 
Like we don't stop here. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we go, like we're just, what we're saying is, okay, if God is doing this in us, we know he wants to do it through us. And so we're gonna be peoples of God. We're gonna be these cities on hills. And if there are hills where we don't have cities, we're gonna go and start some. We're gonna go and reach people there and form them into a family. Let them be formed into a family and set on a hill so that everywhere, every corner of our community, imagine if every workplace in this area had a city on a hill. Imagine that. Imagine if every school, every staff room, every classroom had light shining in it, who saw themselves as, I'm kingdom people, whatever, Jesus, I'm here, I'm following you, I'm not worried about any of this other stuff, I'm just keeping my eyes fixed on you, and I'm telling other people about you. Imagine if that happened to the ends of the earth. That's the mission. And it changes everything. It changes the way we think about our resources, our time, and our money. If you believe that, how would you think differently about how you use your time, how you use your money, how you use your energy? How would it, think, how would it change the way you think about those environments that you're placed in? That maybe your workplace, the main point of it isn't to earn a paycheck, but to be the light of the world. To be salt and light to not get distracted by other things, but to be kingdom people. And then we walk it together. As we pass it on to others and we share it with other people and we walk alongside and we look at things like Matthew 5 and we say, what in the world? How do we do this? And we cling to him. We make disciples who make disciples who make disciples by being kingdom people and inviting others into the kingdom. And next week we're going to talk more about like, Okay, so then what are the methods of that? Do those matter? They do. Because not only is there a kingdom mission, but there are kingdom methods and kingdom measurement. And so we'll talk about all of those things. But until then, my prayer this morning is that you would identify yourself as a kingdom child, as kingdom people living in the way of the kingdom to the glory of God and for the hope of the entire world. Let's pray. Father, you alone can take all these things, all the the broken words and and, and rambling words and all these different things that, that I would say they are meaningless. They're meaningless, God, if they are not pointing to you and the hope that we have in Jesus, if they are not salt. So God, would you filter out all of the other things and just leave us with salt? Because God, we belong to you. And we want to immerse ourselves in you, listening to you, hearing your voice. And we want to become like you. You know, you're transforming us into the image of Jesus. God, forgive us. Forgive us for how we try to redefine things that you have said to us, demonstrating our unbelief. Help us to follow you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to be kingdom people and light in the midst of darkness. For your glory, for our joy, 
and for the hope of the world. Amen.